0: This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market.
1: Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and once again, we're back with John Burns. John Burns owns a company, uh, John Burns Consulting, has for many years He's one of the people that really gets to speak with the big real estate players in our country, hedge funds, national builders, and they pay him for his advice. John, welcome back to our show. You know, we're building houses to sell in Florida and everything goes pending the first day we have it up for sale. And I mean, I'm awfully happy about that. I hope it continues. I, I wasn't going to ask you this question, but this is something, you know, it's kind of funny. I stare at charts like you do and have for years. And sometimes something emerges that I didn't see before, and I had that happen last year. And I was looking at a charts of population gain, and I had never separated what that was made up of. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever done that, uh, John. But California's population gain is now great majority, ninety percent of it, birth over death, what's called natural a natural gain in Florida it's 95% migration of either immigration or within the states and only 5% birth over death which which means to me that the migration gain in Florida is an adult that today is ready to buy or rent a house and in California the population gain is 25 or 30 years away from that event have you ever looked at the population gains that way
0: no, we, we always look at the population gains that way. I mean, and, and well,
1: I missed out on that.
0: You know, but when you know when population <laughs> growth is babies, babies don't buy houses. I mean, babies might be the reason no, they you don't. buy a house, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, in California, what has flipped is um, the foreign migration used to be the growth, and clearly that's been shut off right now. Right. And the d- domestic migration has usually been net out. So if you look at California, you usually say you the number of adults is usually in decline, except for the fact that there's a lot of people that move here from other countries. But you're right. Florida and Texas and Arizona, there's huge domestic migration there of adults moving in and buying and renting homes.
1: So so how does California have more demand for real estate when all of the the adults are already here. I don't know if that's, but I phrase that right. In other words, the buying public basically is already here in numbers. They they have to grow from maybe twenty five to thirty five. To me, that's a very different statistic than people showing up as adults already to do something. So I thought yeah. I discovered that. I, I was pretty excited.
0: There's another thing in the data that's really. We haven't quite completely got our arms around, but it's fascinating too. So you're you're right, really. There is no adult housing demand growth in coastal California, anyway, right now. I just looked at it in in Orange County the other day. But there, there's this other phenomenon going on that's really surprising. There has been a a, a a steady increase in the number of vacant homes. So there's like it's like supply is getting taken off the market, and some of that is inheritances. People are inheriting homes and then just leaving them empty and then all these fix and flippers i mean those those homes are empty when they're buying them it's something we really want to do some more work delving into but it, i just got into an argument literally two days ago with uh, mark sandy at moody's.com right okay um, it was a healthy argument i was going to say at least you have
1: high-end arguments that's good <laughs>
0: Well, he he said, you know, well, housing is so undersupplied. And I said, everybody has been saying that forever. Prove it. You know, he, he pulled out the a vacancy chart because he's got charts lying around just like you and I do. <laughs> and he said, well, look, the number of, of homes for sale and for rent that you and I can buy or rent is lower than usual right now. And I said, you're right. Now, let's look at the rest of the vacancy. And uh, in fact, we've been playing email tag on that today. It's up. The number of second homes is up. The number of empty homes that are being flipped is up. Uh, I'm, I don't know if this is true with you or not, Bruce, but you moved to Florida. If you still have a home in California that's sitting there vacant, that would be a reason too. There, there seems to be a lot of people that have done that. That's been a big surprise to me. It takes supply off the market.
1: Well, you know, I think what you what you just said is, is part of the reason why we've had such firm prices. I I was wondering if sales had gone up until today, and I see they have, but I was thinking that there might be a really strong reaction of concern where people put their home on the market after a certain period of time. I know they took it off originally, so had a lot of of, uh, listings withdrawn. It's interesting to me, I just thought real estate would react in a more negative way than it has. It's actually been a really positive spot as far as price aggression and volume of sales and that type of thing. There's an element we can learn from,
0: uh, which is the remodeling business. So it's not just interest rate driven. It's people are very focused on improving their house. And it is because of COVID. Home Depot is a client of ours. They had $110 billion in revenue. They were looking to grow by a few billion dollars this year. Their sales were up twenty-three percent last quarter, year <laughs> over year. Oh, 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 when you God. when you run a hundred and ten billion dollar company and your sales are up twenty-three, yeah, their their shelves are empty. Um, and that's not people are paying cash for that. There, there's very little HELOC activity associated with that. That right. just tells you that people have gotten so super focused on spending money on the house and having a better house because we're spending so much time in the house and I'm not spending money on vacation and I'm not going out to dinner and I'm not doing
1: all these other things. I'm not getting on airplanes. The money is flowing into the house. I think the other thing about that, let's say you refi your house today at two and three quarter percent. Are the odds better than normal that you'll just stay there?
0: Well, we've been saying that forever. We call it the lock-in effect. So you know, if, if mortgage rates are ever above where your current mortgage rate is, you stay. Right. Um, and that that you know that happened for a while. Then when mortgage rates fell into the threes and then they went back up to four, we're like, well, of course nobody's going to move because that's a really expensive decision. Because I got to give up my great rate and then go get an expensive one. I think you you bring up a valid point, and I do think that is going to happen when rates go up. But you know they've been falling for twenty or thirty years. People are saying. They can't fall any further. And they said that in Japan 20 years ago when rates were similar to today, and they've been falling for 20 years. At some point, you would think rates would normalize, and that would cause an issue
1: where people won't move. Plus, if you're a lender, if you're in the lending business, you think you're going to refi most of the world this year. And then that represents what probably about half of your business. You know, mortgage
0: industry employment is up 11% since
1: February. Oh, (laughs) that makes perfect perfect sense to me. About a year from now, it might might be down 50, but we'll see.
0: (laughs) Right, right. I mean, housing is the economic engine leading us out of this right now.
1: The coronavirus impact on different states. So would you say there's a state that's going to benefit from this and states that are going to get hurt by it?
0: Well, Florida's benefit. Arizona's been the biggest beneficiary because Arizona is driven by construction. And so the construction industry is on fire. They're, as of last month, Um, they've lost 3% of their jobs, whereas the country, I think, it lost about nine. So Arizona is doing much better. And not surprisingly, you know, Miami, New York, Las Vegas, those are the economies that have been hit the hardest. Although Las Vegas is benefiting from California migration, the housing
1: market there is doing okay. I've always had a, a little bit of a discomfort with Nevada's business model is that it's so dominated by one industry. I saw that not work out well in Grand Junction and oil so I've always just thought if something ever happened to that that would I wouldn't want to be holding the bag over there do you see California let's say within I don't know the next four or five years where there's policies they're really talking about we have a, a voting in November a split roll prop 13 things like that do you see that? Hurting California's migration of business or people with wealth going forward? At Prop 13, you mean? Um, well,
0: moving, allowing property taxes to go up significantly on commercial real estate owners. Yes, you would think that, but I, I've been in California my entire life, and the people have been saying, "Here, the added regulation, the added regulation, the added regulation is going to drive people out." It has caused our domestic migration to decline, but. I still think it's one of the best places to live in the world, so you still see a lot of people moving here. And, and we you talk about employment, it really comes down to where does the CEO want to live? So if the CEO wants to go to Dallas, they can go to Dallas. But a lot of CEOs like it in California. Okay. And so Silicon Valley, the, the tech thing, I mean, I don't think, even though Austin and other places have great tech markets, I don't think you're going to be able to replicate the dynamism of what goes on in the San Francisco Bay Area. So that They'll continue to
1: attract a lot of smart people. The population that migrates away versus the population that migrates here, is there a difference in their economic picture? Do wealthy people stay and less wealth, wealthy people leave so they can afford a house? How does that work out?
0: So I, I've looked at that a while ago. It, it's changed. Um, so, so it used to be a lot of the migration was coming from south of the border, so it was lower-income people. Um, but that stopped a long time ago. It goes all the way back to NAFTA when it started helping Mexico's economy. But what we've seen is a lot of young, smart, college-educated people want to work in tech and want to work in entertainment, and we're seeing a lot of migration of uh, higher-income, young, younger people into California, probably more so than than ten years ago. That that's what's been going on. And then there, you know, this whole element of uh, or the this. The executives are going to retire or leave California because of the taxes. But I do think there is some truth
1: to that. But, you know, it's happening by the hundreds, not by the millions. Um, the recent one of the recent ones they're talking about uh, was the wealth tax. And there there's just some things that I think about going. I thought that was like a federal level decision when California State came up with they're contemplating how to figure out how to tax your wealth. I just thought I didn't know they could do that.
0: Yeah, Art Laffer was famous years ago. He left California and moved to Tennessee because there's no estate tax in Tennessee. (laughs) That's been going on on forever.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, not estate tax. They're talking about taxing your wealth every year, a net worth tax. To me, that's the new one.
0: They're talking about doing it at the federal level, too, I believe. That's been on the table for a very long time. And somehow magically, they what they increased what the estate tax, which I know is different than the wealth tax, but that went all the way north of 11 million dollars. You know that could come back down to a million with a stroke of a pen here. So we didn't talk about this, but with with what all the federal government's been doing and all the deficits they've been running for effort, and now all this spending, it's just the, the deficit of all deficits. <laughs> you know, I was taught you should have a balanced budget in school, and we we seem to have been going decades now without a balanced budget. But at some point, you, you'd have to raise taxes if you wanted to get close to a balanced budget. We don't seem to be paying the price for that, which blows my mind. Well, the, the way I look at it, I'll just, I'll just say that we should be paying the price with inflation. But America's still the reserve currency because America's balance sheet is bankrupt, but every other country is more bankrupt. <laughs> I, I think if there was a big country out there that was more in, in stronger shape financially
1: than us, we would have a lot more problems. That's interesting. Do you know who Ray Dalio is? I follow Ray religiously. Yes, that's a pretty smart man.
0: Yeah, he's a pretty smart man, and he and you know he's saying we're going to pay the consequences for this because eight hundred years worth of history says we should, but he can't exactly. predict the timing of it, and ne- neither can anybody else.
1: I mean, Ross right. Perot
0: ran for president on this platform in nineteen ninety-two, think saying that U.S. was going to go bankrupt any day, and here we are
1: twenty-eight years later. <laughs>
0: It hasn't happened yet.
1: Do you consider federal debt maybe safer than state debt? Because the federal can write their own currency, basically. But let's say a state that has a lot of debt that's coming up for people that are retired, that type of thing. Do you see that hitting the fan or do you see the national um, budget somehow taking that over and making that be okay?
0: Well, I think most state and local governments, are, are a huge percentage of them are technically bankrupt if you look at their balance sheet. And, and right. the only one who can print money to pay off their debts is the federal government. So if you look at it that way, the federal government should be safer. You know, when, when Stockton and Vallejo and some of these other cities filed bankruptcy, the bondholders seemed to get out okay from what I could tell. You know, it may be pensioners or other people that get
1: left holding the bag. I, it's not my area of
0: expertise
1: really. Okay. I interviewed the lawyer that basically was very familiar with the way the law was. And like a bondholder, if you're looking at trustee position, pensioners are the first trustee and everybody else is below them. Or they're even like the state uh, property tax. They're somehow a superior lien. So I'm not sure. But I guess when you when you run out of money, I, I, just, I always thought the national government would probably have to write some checks because they're capable of doing it and and not to probably would be a a big mess you mentioned the name Raphael bostic that was interesting i had a meeting with him in uh, 2008 or 9 at fha he was he was there at that time we were talking about the problem and i i said something to the effect about uh, there used to be a, a subject to way to transfer property where you didn't have to qualify for an assumption. And he says, I have no problem with that. I said, well, that's great. Would you put that in writing for me? And he laughed and he said, no, I couldn't do that. (laughs) But I wanted to bring something up to you. And I know you and I have disagreed with this over the, uh, just on the email, but I guess I'm trying to think, okay, how does real estate maybe help I don't know, help society mend, uh, I feel like when I didn't own a home, I mean, I was pretty young, I got married at 17. But when I didn't own a home, I, it was just a very bad feeling. And when I when I owned a home, and I was probably 21 or 22, didn't have a dime worth of equity, but there was something significant in how I felt about my prospects with my name on a, on a grant deed. So you and I have gone a little bit back and forth on this concept of having a nothing down loan program for people that that could qualify like a, you know like a VA lender would uh, qualify people and give people a chance to to own a home the only thing that would be different about the program was that you'd have one foreclosure process that would be for all states and that if in fact somebody didn't make their payments for you know pick the time frame three to six months, you'd have a sale and the sale would be for the back payments and the lender would get paid current and a new buyer would take over and make the payments going forward. And the reason I think that would work well is I think it would give a lot of people a chance to own. And I think you'd have a success rate well over 90%. And I think you'd have a lot of people turn into owners that weren't. So what do you think of that idea? Yeah, no, I. I mean, you said the magic thing there, 90%. What happens to the other 10? So it gets sold. What happens to those people? Well, they lost their chance to own that home. That was yeah. always part of the deal. Doesn't well, mean they can't. I
0: mean,
1: that, well, that, that, I mean, that's pretty darn close to what
0: goes on today. I mean, FHA yeah. will in, in, insure people with with the lowest credit scores in the country with nothing down. Um, to become homeowners, and for the payment to be more than fifty percent of their gross income, which probably works fine if you're living alone, but if you've got four dependents, it's probably too much. I, I mean, all, I'm I'm not a policy setter guy, um, <laughs> but I, I I just I just look at things from kind of a market rate thing, and, and you know, if I'm the lender on this, would I make a hundred percent loan to Bruce Norris? Absolutely. Would I do it to somebody? who has a demonstrated track record of not being able to make their credit card payments over the last three years. I, I you know that's a high risk. Why would I do that? I think it'd be better to get that person to get their act together financially. That would be great. And then make them alone,
1: not make them alone and then hope they magically get their act together, which <laughs> is the policy. Well, VA must do something right with nothing down. Obviously they have pretty good track record. So, Whatever, whatever qualifications they have, that wouldn't be a, a bad idea to mimic them. I guess I'm I trying t- to I figure totally out. I totally agree how... with that.
0: They, okay. they underwrite to people. My understanding is they underwrite to people's disposable income, which is that's correct. Exactly how you. Sh- that's exactly how you should underwrite. That's how. banks underwrite businesses. That's what are your revenue? What are your expenses? What do you have left over to pay the mortgage? <laughs> Not you know the the mortgage industry underwrites to people's gross income. Whether they have you know seventeen children or zero, uh, correct. That
1: makes no sense to me. No, I, I agree with that. See, that's what I mean. This would be a different loan product with a different approach that I think would have a big success rate and give chance, give a lot of people a chance to own a home. It, it it mattered to me because obviously sometimes they go up, and all of a sudden you're you're part of the equity position, and maybe you get a credit line and become a little bit of an entrepreneur. It's that's just what happened to me. So, I'd like to see that, and I, I think perhaps it would change some of the people's mood about them having a having a shot. That's that's kind of where my heart is in it. What do you think? You guys are going to be doing for the the next twelve months at your company? Do you think it will be real estate's just doing doing really well, and people are going to be, you know, thinking about the big picture and building uh, lots of new homes or there's going to be on the back of their mind that there's a second shooter drop and that we're, we're going to have to be really careful. I actually think it's
0: going to be a third choice, Bruce, which is people are going to okay. be
1: doing really well.
0: And we could end up with housing euphoria where we start to see double digit appreciation year after year after year and stupid lending starts to happen again. Because okay, it, it feels a lot like 2002 to me. In 2002, everything was great. It was. But, um, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of capital that is still fighting to get mid-teens returns. Now, how do you get mid-teens returns in an environment where the risk-free rate is zero? <laughs> right. You have to take a. You have to take a lot of risk. I would not be surprised. I'm being very speculative here, though. But if interest rates stay in the twos for a very long time and. Home prices go up 10% a year after 10% a year after 10% a year. And we, we run out of all the most qualified people in the country to make mortgages to that somebody sees an opportunity to make double-digit returns uh, going back to subprime or something along those lines. I, I can actually see as more likely to forget there's a downside and more just rah, 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 housing is unstoppable. So do you think regulation would go away? And and that would lead to that, or that would still go on even with the regulation that's in place? Don't underestimate the ability of lawyers to come up with new structures to get around regulation. Wall Street is now securitizing short-term fix-and-flip loans. I never thought they'd be able to do that.
1: Not only that, but one of the big debt concerns probably going back a year ago was the corporate debt, correct? Yes. Yeah, there was corporate debt. Everybody thought, okay, well, that's the next uh, big problem. And then the Fed basically solved that.
0: They did. And there was more debt issuance last month, I think, than any month ever before because all those companies were able to tap back into the debt market for a lower interest rate and stick the maturities out for four or five more years because that's what they're able to do. And, you know, I've seen some structures where, some of the subprime feeling like stuff looks like a lease to me right now. So it's a lease to own program so that you can get around the mortgages that way. Cause it's just a lease.
1: Interesting. Well, John, i I appreciate you taking time to talk with us. I really do. I always enjoy talking with you and I learn uh, an awful lot. I would suggest anybody get big shifts ahead. Is there big shifts ahead too coming? Uh, if I can
0: find the time. So not anytime soon, <laughs> that was a <laughs> lot of work. But thanks. It, uh, thanks for the
1: plug in. And, and and once again I learned more from you with your questions that make me think than, than you learn from me, I'm sure. I'm glad we I'm glad we share each other, uh, you know, share time with each other once in a while online and uh and thanks again for participating in our I Survived events. It's uh Of course. Yeah, we just really You're appreciate it. Are, are you gonna go virtual this year with that? Uh I, Joey, you'd probably know I think the answer is yes on that. And it's gonna be later <laughs> later this year.
0: Can't spill the beans yet, yeah. but yes, there's, there's something in the works and it's going to be, Okay, it is going to be kind of t- town hallish. That would kind of describe it accurately. We're just going to divide it into, you know, how we've had it, you know, where it's the panelists, then the, you know, the real estate legends, and then, you know, we're going to give some time to the clubs too. So, but yeah, it, it is going to go virtual.
1: All right, John, again, thanks so much for joining us today. All right. Take care Bruce. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. By the way, John, I'm
0: squatting in his house, so it's not vacant. (laughs)
1: Okay. There you go. All right. Okay.
0: (laughs) For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.